Welcome to WFUV's What's What. It's Wednesday, June 29th. What's What is a daily podcast that explores current events, culture, news, and hot topics in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And includes features and interviews exclusively from WFUV. I'm Isabel Danzis. And I'm Addison Colombo. Coming up, we'll have some features from reporters, but now let's get started with the headlines. Last night was big in the world of New York politics. That's right. Results are in for the state's gubernatorial primary elections. Incumbent Kathy Hochul beat her competitors, public advocate Jamani Williams and Representative Tom Swazi, garnering over 50 percent of the votes. Congressman Lee Zeldin took the win in the Republican race. He was competing against former White House staffer Andrew Giuliani, businessman Harry Wilson, and former Westchester County Executive Rob Astorino. The two winners will face off at the polls in November with their running mates, current Lieutenant Governor Antonio Delgado and NYPD Inspector Allison Esposito for Hochul and Zeldin, respectively. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that most New Yorkers have experienced the struggle of trying to find a public bathroom in the city. I would have to agree, but a new bill might change things. That's right. Yesterday, Manhattan Borough President Mark Levine and Council Member Rita Joseph rallied in support of a new bill that would increase the amount of public bathrooms in the city. With some New York zip codes not having any public restrooms, advocates of the bill, like Joseph, say it's a problem of equity across the city. As city lack available accessible clean bathrooms, disproportionately harms New Yorkers who are unhoused, elderly, disabled, pregnant women, menstruating, or other medical condition. This bill is about restroom access. The bill would require the Department of Transportation and the Parks Department to work with community groups to create new plans for bathrooms. In a year, they'd have to present their budget to the city council. In other New York news, R&B singer R. Kelly is being sentenced today in a Brooklyn court. His crimes include racketeering and multiple charges of sex with underage girls. As of this morning, the singer is expected to receive a quarter century or more in prison. In similar news, Ghislaine Maxwell was also sentenced to 20 years yesterday on counts of sex trafficking minors, transporting a minor, and conspiracy. A former socialite, Maxwell was involved in ex-boyfriend Jeffrey Epstein's sex trafficking ring that spanned years. Famous singer, songwriter, and guitarist PJ Harvey announced that she will be releasing a new album in summer 2023. This is Harvey's long-awaited follow-up album for her 2016 hit, The Hope Six Demolition Project. Harvey's recent musical output has just been reissuing vinyls, so this news is very exciting to fans. Her alternative indie style has gotten her numerous awards, including being honored by Queen Elizabeth II. To close out Pride Month, WFUV is highlighting New York City bars that have long served the LGBTQ community. WFUV's Nicoletta Papavasalakis takes us to the Monster in Greenwich Village, a hybrid piano and drag bar. Walking into a bar at 5 p.m. on a Tuesday, you might expect it to be mostly empty, but not at the Monster. The Greenwich Village Bar is packed with longtime patrons and newcomers, chatting, sipping drinks, and enjoying the quirky splendor of the place. According to Dan Toby, the general manager, this isn't anything out of the ordinary. We have a normal Tuesday crowd. The, the guys that are at the bar right now, there's probably 10 or 12 guys on the end of that bar. Those guys all have spots that they have claimed years ago. So Tony's always on the corner. And Gus is always around the corner on the other side with his buddies. I got to talk to one of these fixtures of the monster, Tony. He gave me a little history lesson. Let me tell you about Mount Rushmore. But he's not talking about the national landmark in South Dakota. In the front of the bar where I usually sit, there was this contingent of very um, elderly men. And we used to call them Mount Rushmore. (laughs) (laughs) All four of them always sat there. 
every day that we were there. Now, Tony and his friends have taken the spots where the previous members of Mount Rushmore once sat. They've been regulars at the bar for over 30 years. The only time Tony is not sitting at the high table is when he is singing near the piano. They call him the Frank Sinatra of the monster. Dan Toby says the monster has been a longtime safe space for the LGBTQ community. Twiggy, a drag performer at the monster, says it feels like family. It's not just another bar that you just go into. Like, I know the face is here. I'm excited to come see the staff. And it just feels like a friendly environment. The monster was established in 1982 by Joe Schiallo, the son of an Italian immigrant. Before that, the building in Sheridan Square was a high-class Spanish restaurant visited by many celebrities like Frank Sinatra and Tony Bennett. According to Toby, Scala wanted to transform this exclusive venue into a more inclusive space. And he wasn't kidding around. Scala made sure there was something everyone can enjoy at the Monster. This bar is really like seven or eight bars combined into one. It just depends on the day of the week and the time of the day that you come in. You're going to experience something different, whether it's the piano bar upstairs, the disco downstairs, just poning up to the bar upstairs and having a drink and having a conversation with a bartender who's friendly and wants to chat. The Monster is home to one of the longest-running discos and drag shows in the city. Many things have stood the test of time at the club, but even so, Dan Toby says the Monster also recognizes the need to constantly evolve for inclusivity. When it first opened, the clientele was strictly gay men. And I'm 50 years old, so I remember the first gay bar that I went into when I grew up in Washington State. You literally entered through a back alley, right? And you, once you were inside, you knew it was just going to be gay men and that was your safe space. And there are some customers that still um, sort of hearken for those days of it's just the men. But once they realize that we've evolved in a way that we've always said we wanted to involve for more inclusivity, um, I think they sort of shed that thought of the past. Over the decades, the monster has become a haven for the whole LGBTQ plus community. This evolution has also helped change the mindsets of many older patrons. Although the bar's founder, Joe Schiallo, isn't around anymore, Toby says the monster is exactly what he wanted it to be. I think that is part of Joe's legacy, even though generationally uh, it was different when he created it. But I think the genius in it is that it was able to evolve and it's continued to evolve with the right people. Today, the LGBTQ plus community is much bigger and more diverse than it has ever been. The monster is growing too. Its regulars say it's making sure that each and every member has a place to express themselves freely. That was WFUV's Nicoletta Papavasilakis. Now, let's head on over to the world of sports with WFUV's Miles Grossman. Last night over in Queens, the Mets were destroyed by the Astros 9-1. As of late, the Astros have plagued both the New York teams. They started out in Queens last week by taking two from the Mets and then traveled to the Bronx to split a four-game set with the Yankees. Following the conclusion of that series, they then bounce back to City Field for this quick two-game series versus the Mets once again. So the Astros took Game 1 in dominant fashion, and the Red Hot Mets have lost four of their last six. They'll be looking to right the ship against the .87 whip of Houston's Justin Verlander this evening. In more serious news, Deshaun Watson's hearing before the NFL and the Players Association will continue today in Delaware. The NFL is pushing for at least a one-year suspension following Watson being accused of sexual misconduct by well over 20 different unrelated women. 
He settled out of court with 20 of 24 of his accusers. That'll do it for today's headlines in sports with WFUV Sports. I'm Miles Grossman. Thanks so much, Miles. The Latinx community has always been a big part of New York City's history, but some of its members have historically been excluded from that story. Juan Rivera was a part of that population. He was a gay Latino man who grew up on the streets and in the drag bars of New York in the 1970s. So WFUV's David Escobar sat down with Fordham professor Arnaldo Cruz Malave to discuss his book about Rivera and the importance of including Latinos in queer history. Why did you feel it was important to tell a story about someone like Juan Rivera from the queer Latinx community? I happened, I happened to run into one in the streets and he tells me this long convoluted tale about hanging out with Grace Jones, Keith Haring, Princess Caroline, going to the Paradise Garage, and yet at the same time, you know, being a homeless kid on the streets of New York, especially on 42nd Street and what that meant then, which was a horrible, horrible uh, place. The rich and the famous would hang out at the same clubs with, with the street kids who had to um, sell themselves to live. But it was also so representative of that that time, that time period, the 70s and 80s are a very interesting moment in New York. I mean, actually a very historic moment. What we nowadays tend to call sexiles, that is migrants who migrated because they felt that um, the places where they were living were not supportive enough, anywhere from not supportive to outright put their lives at risk. What would you say about Latino culture makes queer Latino experiences unique from other queer identities, Black people, white people, Asian people, people of all different yeah. races and creeds? In, in the case of Latinos, one of the things that is really crucial that other queer people don't even understand is the importance of the relationship of the United States to Latin America and the importance of the relationship of the United States to the Caribbean. That's why... AIDS, any kind of issue, any kind of Latino issue, is an issue that um, has been worked on in an interconnected way. That it's not just simply about the place or where you're at, but it's the place that you left behind. What advice would you give to young people trying to get more involved in LGBTQ movements? I know that we are often trying to use the most correct language. Um, I know that we're often very ready to judge, but listening really requires that you take a step back and that you be not affirmative for the sake of being affirmative, but that you be generous. Create something from listening to each other, watching for like sometimes what is not said rather than what is said. Sometimes the most important things is what is left unsaid. That was Fordham Conversations host David Escobar talking to Professor Arnando Cruz Malave about queer Latinx representation in his book, Queer Latino Testimonio. And that's our show for today. I'm Madison Colombo. And I'm Isabel Danzis. Track back with us tomorrow at 3 o'clock for more news, music, culture, and sports. And tell your friends so they can find WFUV's What's What at WFUVnews.org and wherever podcasts are found.